For a year-end gift of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Donate today at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Thanks for your support at the end of 2022. The Advent hymn on Jordan's Bank, The Baptist's Cry. As we go into the second Sunday of Advent, the emphasis turns toward John the Baptist. But does that mean that the emphasis turns away from the one he came to announce, the one greater than him, whose sandals he is unworthy to stoop down and untie, namely Jesus? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Monday afternoon, November the 28th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Looking forward to Advent 2 with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Then, in Hour 2 of Issues, etc., it's a question that we need your answer to. What's your favorite Advent hymn and why? You can answer that question by giving us a call, one 623 myie sending us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org a tweet at IssuesETC, or leave your answer to that question at our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash IssuesETC. We'll be giving away a recording of 15 Advent and Christmas hymns to listeners with the best votes in answer to the question, what's your favorite Advent hymn and why? Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. He joins us to look forward to Sunday morning. Sean, welcome back. It's great to be back, Todd. In this second Sunday of Advent, we are introduced to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. How should we rightly understand Advent's emphasis on John? I love the way that the proper preface for the season puts it. You'll hear this every Sunday, probably right before the Sanctus, at least in most settings of the divine service. And it goes like this. It adds this special section about John the Baptist, whose way, that's Christ's way, John the Baptist prepared, pointing them to the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world and calling sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed when he comes again in glory. So we see that John's work is preparatory. We'll start to hear that today already. And then also next Sunday, when we look at the text and what Jesus has to say about John, what John has to say about himself. And we see that the form that his preparation for Christ takes is repentance. So there's an ongoing discussion in the Lutheran Church these days about which color the season of Advent ought to be. Originally, the color was violet. That's a purple color that continues in the Roman Catholic Church and in many churches. Borrowing from some Swedish traditions, it became popular in the 20th century to use blue as a color during Advent. What's nice about that is it distinguishes it from Lent, which is a different season with a slightly different character. But maybe what's at risk in blue is to lose the focus on repentance. Blue is usually associated with hope and expectation which is a fine theme to focus on in Advent as well. But the theme of repentance is and always has been essential as the way that we prepare to 
observe Christ's coming at Christmas, but also especially for his second advent at the last day. And we see in these Sundays in year A of the three-year lectionary, that theme of repentance is by no means missing from Advent, even now, which I think in this year, maybe of all the years in the three-year, recommends that color of violet to be used. The emphasis on John is not so much an emphasis on John, because John points beyond himself to Christ. Yes, it's very interesting. We don't hear his most famous sermon, which is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In a sense, we don't need to because we hear that every single Sunday. We sing it ourselves in the Agnus Day during communion. But we're going to hear all the rest of his preaching, which is surrounding what his baptism means, which focuses on the preaching of repentance. And we especially get to hear that in today's gospel reading. Let's talk a little bit about these themes that now are kind of set in place. You had mentioned that this preparation takes a certain form. We don't get to choose how to prepare for the coming Christ. It is repentance. What is biblical repentance? Biblical repentance, the word has to do with a total change, not just a reconsideration or a regret, but in fact that something would change. It has to do with our minds, that we would actually come to a change of mind. The way this happens, first and foremost, is the Word of God brings a change to our mind. It corrects us. It says, well, you may have thought one thing in your sinful flesh, but the Lord's Word says something different. Thus, when we say repent, we, I think, in our use, most often mean that we would be corrected for some sin, that we would regret it, of course, but that we would most of all be terrified by it. Repentance in the Lutheran understanding and explanation is that we have contrition, that is, terrors of the conscience because of the recognition of our sin and the wrath of God against it, but also that it would be joined with faith, that we wouldn't just turn away from ourselves in disgust, which is right to start with, but that we would look to Christ Jesus and be saved, that we would actually have faith in God. Yes, that we would say amen to his word that condemns us, but that we would keep listening to his word to hear where he talks about the redemption that's been prepared for us. We see a little bit of that in the way repent is used right off the bat in the gospel, which is fantastic that John is famous for this message, but Jesus repeats it in the gospels exactly the way John says it. Repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that on the street preacher's signs kind of uh, proverbially, right? Repent for the end is near. That's fine. That's part of what John's saying. But more importantly, repent because the Lord is here. And that contrast captures perfectly what we as Christians think about the last day, what we know and we expect about the last day, that it will be a terrifying day, a reason for people to wake up and uh, repent of their sins. But for us who know Christ Jesus, who have faith in him, it won't simply be a time of despising ourselves, but will be a, a time that we will look to Christ Jesus for salvation. Thus, John's message is not just be contrite about your sins, but also look for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it's at hand in Christ Jesus who's at hand. He warns of judgment, and before we get into the particulars of this coming Sunday, we need to rightly understand what the judgment he's, pre he's preparing us for. 
Sure, the judgment is when God, with all his angels, wraps up the world at the end of the world. When he comes, when Christ himself comes and sits on his glorious throne and judges all human beings that have ever lived and ever will have lived, that he comes to send those who despise him, who reject him, who have perhaps in this life seemed to have gotten away with all of their wickedness. Uh, at the last day, that will be disclosed uh, and those who trust only in themselves will find they don't have enough good to outweigh the bad, as some people expect the last day will be. And they will be sadly, and contrary to what God desires, they will be cast into the place that has been prepared not for human beings at all, but for the devil and his angels. We've heard that already kind of at the end of the church here with its theme. But the Lord will come with great power and great comfort for those who, who look longingly and expectantly for his return, because their judgment has been taken care of in the death of Jesus Christ. That is what we heard at the end of year C, uh, that Christ Jesus has suffered for our sins, that he's paid the penalty, that he has given us in exchange his righteousness. That's the righteousness by which we uh, can stand at the last day in that judgment and have eternal redemption. You also wanted to say something about a theme of the mighty works of God in this coming Sunday. Yeah, so I think as we look through the readings, we'll see that it's not only talking about uh, a preparation, a waiting, an expectation for God, specifically done through repentance, but we'll see that the mighty works of God are be declared, being declared. So in the gospel, it's a little hidden because the works of God are in contrast uh, to what both the Pharisees are doing. So there are works for us that God has for us. But maybe more importantly is this contrast between John's kind of meager preparation work compared with the work of the one that he is preparing us for, Jesus Christ, who will come as the true judge to do his judging work. Therefore, we ought to be prepared for that. But we see in the rest of the, of the readings a focus on what God has done in the past, a focus on what the prophets are declaring for us as well, and therefore that we want to consider who it is who is going to be coming to be our judge. Take us into the intro for this coming Sunday drawn from two psalms. First of all, we have from Isaiah chapter 40, a passage that is quoted in the New Testament reading for today, the gospel reading, that in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is something that is going to be applied to John the Baptist, that he is the voice crying in the wilderness, and his voice is a preparatory voice. So it's interesting how it uh, takes that phrase and kind of reorients it, right? So it's not just that we need to prepare a way through the desert, which is definitely the focus of the Old Testament reading, but that in the desert is going to be the place where this voice is sounding. So it's kind of an obscured prophecy of John the Baptist. Then the psalm is four verses from Psalm 105. And I would actually say the intro is the perfect place for the Christian who's about to prepare for this Sunday to find the tying together of all of the different readings. This is not always the case that the intro will set the theme for the day or that whatever the first word of the intro is ought to be considered the primary tying together theme. And, and if nothing connects to it, then maybe it needs to be thrown out. But 
in this case, the intro, it really does capture it all. So we hear that uh, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually, that we will find our safety in his strength. This brings together especially the Old Testament reading, which not only is presenting the Lord to us, but also presenting this perfect and blissful life, which we know will be realized at the last day. Then it talks about remembering the works that he has done. There's that theme of the mighty works. We find that especially in the epistle reading, which bids us to look back at what the Lord has done, what his prophets have proclaimed, and how, in fact, this is for all people, not just for the people of God, Israel in the Old Testament. We have a a bidding from the psalm, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, the ones to whom the psalm is singing out. That's very interesting because in our gospel reading, we'll hear John the Baptist say, look, it's not enough to be a child of Abraham or to have him as your kind of long lost descendant. The Lord's able to raise up children for Abraham from stones. And what John is foretelling, Jesus also says in reference especially to the Gentiles. And that's a big theme in the epistle as well as in that gospel reading, that the Lord's offspring are all who trust in him. Thus, a way is open not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And lastly, in the psalm, he remembers his covenant forever. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. There's that theme of judgment that we'll hear from John in the gospel. We're looking forward to Sunday morning with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. When we return, the prayer appointed for the second Sunday in Advent, the Collect. a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations.
Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Stanza two of the Advent hymn on Jordan's Bank, The Baptist Cry. We're looking forward to Sunday morning with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, according to the three-year lectionary. The next proper we have here is the Collect. What do we find there, Sean? The Collect for the day is the traditional Collect for the second Sunday in Advent, common to all the lectionaries. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, so that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. In some ways, the the encouragement to live in keeping with his commandments with minds that are pure is continuing the theme of repentance, which always must be tied to a turn and a change in action and mind that we actually live in good works as well. That is exactly what John will say in the gospel, that we should bear fruit in keeping with repentance so that it's not just a monkey shine, a pretend, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught this time, but I don't intend to change my life at all. But maybe what's more pertinent to this day is this make ready the way of the only begotten son, which ties uh, beautifully to what John is doing and also what these readings are preparing us for. The Old Testament reading is drawn from Isaiah chapter 11, the first 10 verses. How does it read and what do we find there? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. How would you describe its message? 
So there's kind of a few sections. The the thing that bookends this reading is this statement about the shoot, the stump, the roots, the branch having to do with Jesse. This passage comes up also, or this figure comes up also in Jeremiah. And it's probably most well known to us from a hymn that actually was a a Catholic hymn, but it's one that Michael Pretorius brought into our fold in one of his tune collections, Lo, how a rose air blooming. And you see kind of in the medieval understanding the way they wanted to parse out this whole sentence so that the shoot is one thing, the branch is another thing, the roots are another thing, the rose is Christ, but the branch it grows on is Mary, and the stump from Jesse is, of course, the the Davidic line that ended not only with David, and Solomon, but also kind of just the whole path of Israel that fell off a cliff uh, when they were taken off into captivity that was promised to have restoration, but never quite realized it until, of course, Christ Jesus came. And we see that this root of Jesse, right, this long-standing Lord uh, who goes beyond and past in in the past before Jesse, also is now a descendant of him. So we have already a a prophecy of kind of the son of David, but also the Lord of David, that riddle that Jesus uses to challenge the Pharisees who want to see everything in the Old Testament except for him, their Lord, their Christ. We also have this passage that's very important for the life of the church speaking about the Holy Spirit, and we won't go into all the details today, but just to know that this is the source of that sevenfold gifts or sevenfold spirit we use when we sing about the spirit in Pentecost, especially the spirit of the Lord that rests on him. It was clear in some of the other translations how you arrive at seven instead of, as it looks like in ours, six different things, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. But speaking about this branch that is Christ Jesus, he is going to come as a judge, and he's not going to judge like a human judges. He's not going to do it just by his eyes or overhear whatever his ears happen to hear. You know, maybe he's just judging by hearsay. No, he's going to judge righteously. He's going to judge with equity. He's going to be fair. He's going to be impartial. He's going to be truthful, and in fact, in a way that no human judge, even if he were a godly and righteous man, no human judge judges as the Lord does. Notice righteousness is at the center of it and faithfulness at the center of it. These are attributes then of Christ Jesus. And out of this, which seems almost like a right turn for us, comes this beautiful passage often quoted about how lions and lambs, wolves and oxen, all of these uh, predators and prey will be grazing together, will be living peacefully. You've got this image of the child playing by snake's dens and not being in any threat or being bitten at all. The Lord bursts in again and, and makes it clear that he is the one speaking when he says, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why this kind of idyllic, peaceful, heavenly image of eternal life right after we've been speaking about judgment? Well, I think one, it illustrates that first comes the judgment and then the Lord ushers his saints into eternal life, which will be free of all sin and tears and everything that Revelation says, but also that it is the Lord's righteous judgment. It is his righteousness that gives us this eternal peaceful life, which I think is especially helpful for us as we look at 
today's reading as next Sunday's readings also, and see that in Advent, we have this theme that what for the sinful and the wicked of the world, those who do not believe in Christ Jesus, is a terrible day, the end of the world, is for us a beautiful thing. To have all of those who are against God cut off is to make peace for those who trust in him, those who are poor, those who are beset by their sins, and they know it, and they want to be free of it. They're repenting of it. They're looking for fruits of repentance in their life as well. To us who trust in Christ Jesus, it is a glorious and peaceful day that we are expecting, and it comes only with and through the judgment of God. What is the psalm appointed for this coming Sunday? The psalm appointed for this Sunday is Psalm 72, verses 1 through 7. This comes also from the Revised Common Lectionary. It was their choice as well, although ours omits a few verses, which can be used as an antiphon. That'd be verse 18, and if you like, verse 19 as well. This psalm does mention the Lord's judgment, and it mentions how this judgment makes for peace. So in that way, the psalm is meant to comment on everything we heard in the Old Testament reading. And I think that sentence really does uh, capture the point. It's his judgments that make for peace. Therefore, we ought to always hold together the last day and its terrors with the last day and its joys and never forget one for the sake of the other. Pastor John Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, and we will talk about the epistle in Romans 15 next. Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift you can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org, or you can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Tennessee is one of the most beautiful places in the USA. And at Praise Lutheran, you'll find the most beautiful gospel. God saving sinners through the death and resurrection of His Son for you, given faithfully each Sunday in word and sacrament. Praise Lutheran is a confessional liturgical church located in Maryville, Tennessee, right in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. We're growing, but there's always room for you. Visit us online at praiselutheran.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. 
Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Ascension of Christ Lutheran, Beverly Hills, Michigan. Christ the King Lutheran, Billings, Montana. Holy Cross Lutheran, Rockland, California. Hope Lutheran, Granite City, Illinois. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Dubuque, Iowa. St. John Lutheran, New Berlin, Illinois. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Lexington, Kentucky. Redeemer Lutheran, Los Alamos, New Mexico. St. Paul Lutheran, Irvine, California. Trinity Lutheran, San Angelo, Texas. And Zion Lutheran, St. Charles, Missouri. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org Click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. On Jordan's Bank, the Baptist Christ stands a three. We're looking forward to the Sunday where that is the hymn of the day. Advent 2 with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Sean, we come to the epistle in Romans 15. How does it read? Romans 15, beginning at verse 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This reading is the traditional reading also in the one-year lectionary for this second Sunday, and I think it's a favorite for a number of reasons. First of all, it has this explanation of what the scripture's purpose is. They were written for what reason? For us, actually, for our instruction, so that through, and I'll change this translation slightly and see if you can recognize it, through patience and 
comfort of the blessed scriptures, we might have hope. This is the origin of that collect for the word of God that many people are used to hearing all the time. We ask that we would grant us that we would read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures so that by patience and comfort of them, we may have the hope of eternal life. A beautiful passage, one that we should always keep in mind for what the scriptures are to do for us. They're not here to condemn us in such a way that we have no hope but to go away into hell. The Lord actually desires our salvation. When we find something in the scriptures that rebukes us or convicts us of sin or shows us that we're in the wrong, the response to it shouldn't be to double down on our sin and say, well, fine, I don't need God anyway. I'll just live on without him, I guess. Nor is it to despair and to lose all hope, to have contrition but no faith. No, the point of the scriptures is to lead us through that, that is, into repentance, but through repentance into faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be saved, that we may have comfort, that the Holy Spirit may bring us the gospels of salvation, and that we may have confidence in Christ, that we may have hope for the last day and for the judgment. So I think it's not only a, a very important passage to hear at the beginning of a church year, but also one that is perfect for this day when we are going to consider the judgment of God. One more thing that Paul brings in in connection with this is not only that Christ Jesus has come, he's proved himself faithful to Israel, he is the truthful Lord, uh, the righteous judge, we might add from the Old Testament reading, in order to prove that all of the patriarchs and prophets and their message was truthful and honest, but also he is the God of the Gentiles. And Paul delights in this here in Romans. He just ransacks us with a ton of different passages from the Old Testament that mentions the Gentiles and their place in God's salvation. This is so important, certainly in Paul's immediate context, when he is squabbling with those who think you have to become a Jew before you can be a Christian. You have to accept circumcision and all of the outward rites as well. Well, that's half of the New Testament devoted to this question, which is uh, declared very clearly by actually Peter in Acts chapter 15. But Paul wants to show us, look, this idea, which may have been obscured and hidden in ages past, is absolutely there in the prophets, that he is the Lord of the Gentiles also, that they are going to come to him. And it's wonderful even that uh, his last example from Isaiah is a quote from what we heard the root of Jesse that comes to lead and rule and bring to himself all the Gentiles. And I can't escape this last little blessing that Paul has, which I think is my pastor's favorite Bible verse or close to it, because he says it all the time, but it is marvelously joyful and a great blessing to us. I hope the pastors will speak it in some way that is a blessing to you, the hearer. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, that faith in Christ Jesus would actually bring joy and peace to us, give us hope for the last day, overcome all of the bad feelings that we may have by considering our sins and repenting of them, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, that you wouldn't be dashed or despairing because of your sins, but that you would be brought to have great hope in God because he has uh, worked our salvation in Christ Jesus. The gradual is seasonal. It's the same for every Sunday of the Advent season, but remind us of what it says. 
Sure, it speaks about uh, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout daughter of Jerusalem, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And today the uh, connection is probably that righteousness, I think. Our king comes righteous in order to do just judgment. That could be a horrifying thing, I suppose, if you're depending on your works for salvation. But if you trust in him as a rescuer, if you are repentant of your sins and not relying on those works for salvation, it is great news to hear that we have a righteous Savior, one who is coming to arise for our help, one who is going to save us. That's exactly the kind of Lord we have. He's going to save the poor in spirit. He's going to save the poor in works even by giving them his Holy Spirit. So this is the voice of the church addressing God, rejoicing in him, and gladly awaiting his coming, both now and at the last day. What does the verse do on this coming Sunday? The verse, by the way, for each uh, season, at least here in Advent, is annual. So no matter whether it's year A, year B, or year C of the three-year lectionary, you're always going to hear the same verse on that Sunday after Advent. This week we hear from Luke chapter 3, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So it's kind of a combination of that quote of the Old Testament along with a fuller reading of Isaiah, all flesh will see the salvation of our God. And it fits in perfectly with John's message we're about to hear in the gospel, a message of preparation, what he's come to do to make those paths straight and to show us our salvation in Christ. That brings us to the centerpiece of this coming Sunday, the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 3. What does it say? In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is one of those Sundays where it's a little strange to hear this is the gospel of the Lord after it ends on kind of a judgment note. Although, interesting, it does mention the wheat. It does mention those saints that are gathered safely away from his judgment fires. Although that's definitely not the focus and the tone 
of this gospel. It's serious judgment, and it's the call for repentance that is particular to confess our sins, to be honest about them, not to imagine that repentance without the fruits of that repentance are just fine, and that this is John's preparatory work for the one who will come after him. We're talking with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. As you read through Psalm 23, what enemies can you see? The clearest enemy to me is death, as David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 4 also contains the phrase, I will fear no evil, but King David does not specify what evil he's referencing. He could be speaking about sin, death, and Satan altogether. That's an excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org. On every page of our website, issuesetc.org. Or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. 1-800-325-3040. 1-800-325-3040. We will discuss the immediate target of John's rebuke, the Jewish leaders next. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we move farther along in St. Luke with Jesus Heals the Demoniac, Healing and Preaching, Calling of Four Disciples, Jesus Cleanses a Leper, and Which is Easier to Say. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, let's discuss the immediate target of John the Baptist's rebuke, the Jewish leaders. Yes, very important. It is the Jews first. So just as Jesus will say later, and Paul will echo it, right? The gospel is the power of salvation unto all people who believe, but first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So John's mission begins in and around Jerusalem. Although interestingly, on the far side of the Jordan, not in the promised land, right? In the place where Moses did similar preaching in Deuteronomy. That's not a theme we investigate here in Advent, but it does lie behind the reason John is out there instead of maybe in the town square of Jerusalem. And he does have the people of God the messages for them. So this savior that is coming, this one who's mightier than him, is the one who has always been coming for Israel, the one who's arisen for them in the past, the Lord who has made their path straight all the way through the wilderness, and who now is coming in person, right? Who is coming to visit his people, as the Zechariah says in his Benedictus. But you're right, his target is well-received by the people in the region of the Jordan. They do come out to him, and notice what in particular this baptism has to do with. It's confessing their sins. So this is why the term repent sometimes is used very narrowly to focus only on confessing, contrition of sins, not including the gospel as a total turn, not only turning from our sins, but turning toward Christ Jesus. It's probably because of this very passage where John's baptism is especially, or at least predominantly focused on repenting of sins, turning away from them, confessing them. But when the Pharisees and Sadducees come, it does say they're coming for baptism here, although from other places in the scriptures, we get the hint that maybe they're just trying to come see this thing that's going on, not actually to come and take part of it from the heart. He calls them a brood of vipers. He says, why are you fleeing from this wrath? Who warned you of this? And then he adds this comment, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The implication here is that they're all show and no real action. That maybe their hearts are not even in this because even their actions are only gauged for how people will interpret it. And the Lord sees through that. It's the fruits of this repentance that are necessary too. It's not just to be part of the group, but it is important that actually this faith will be alive in you and that it will produce something in your life as well. And so his rebuke has to do with them saying, well, we're children of Abraham. We're we're Israelites, always have been, always will be. So certainly we're safe. We don't have to worry about anything. The most important thing is who we are, who we were born to be, not what we have believed, what we have heard, and how we responded to it. So uh, this brings the whole Old Testament into view to see how over and over again the children of Israel trusted in the Lord as a kind of boondoggle or a rabbit's foot, that having a mere possession of him without any faith or life was just fine. John really rebukes that and says there's no time for it. How does John distinguish himself from the one he is preparing the people to meet? He says that the one who's coming is greater than him, is mightier than him, stronger in fact, but it's maybe hard to see where the strength is. 
But he says it has to do with this baptism. His baptism is water, whereas the Lord will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit himself. He says that his baptism is for repentance, and he doesn't have a contrast to that with Jesus, which I think is very interesting. Maybe the contrast is the Holy Spirit. So repentance as this narrow view of confessing sins, contrition, the result of God's law and our agreement with it for once. So I could see it as being the Holy Spirit will, that Jesus baptizes with will be the gospel work of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, I mean, we learn this from John's gospel, that the Holy Spirit is at work in the conviction of the law, just as he is in the conviction of the gospel, with the whole view of repentance in aim, that he actually wants to bring us out of our sins, out of lying, into the truth, and the truth is the forgiveness of those sins by Christ Jesus. But I think another way to see it is John's gospel is limited. It's preparatory in the sense that it stops short of the thing we're after. This leads kind of to a dogmatic question that over the years Christians have kind of differed on, actually, on whether John's baptism is different from Jesus by degree or by type. So is, is John's baptism kind of the start of it and Jesus finishes it off and fulfills it, maybe in the way that the temple of old actually forgave sins, but always by virtue of Christ Jesus, and now there's no need for that anymore, or whether it's totally different and insufficient. We get that impression from Acts where we meet those people in Ephesus who they had John's baptism, but they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Very strange moment. And Paul actually just clarifies it for them. And uh, they received the Holy Spirit on that occasion. I think what is, at the very least, maybe without answering the question precisely or definitively, we can talk about what's similar and what's different. So what's different is Christ Jesus, obviously. Uh, John is not the Lord. He's not the judge. He's only the one who's preparing this. Jesus is the judge. When he comes, whether it is to baptize, whether it is to speak, he needs to be listened to as we would listen to God himself. In fact, he's the one who's going to be doing the judging on the last day. John already has that foretold for us here. What's similar, though, is the message of repentance and the message of the imminence of God, that his kingdom is here now. That demands our attention. If he is visiting, we should be ready for it. I think that repentance commonality is very important. In the New Testament, the message of the gospel is not absent of the call to repentance. It's not absent of the call to a life that changes, that comes into conformity to God's word. No, that's something, in fact, that is a fruit only of this gospel, only of this forgiveness that Jesus alone can bring. But repentance, then, is just as applicable for us as Christians now as it is for those who maybe have never heard of Christ Jesus. Take us into the hymn of the day, which is On Jordan's Banks, the Baptist Cry. This little hymn has an interesting history. It was originally written in Latin, but it was written, we might say, in modern Latin. The 1600s count as modern for art's sake. So it's not an ancient hymn. It's not one that Luther would have grown up singing. It was written after he was long dead. But it kind of fell into the tradition, and we have it translated for us into English, which is much more preferable for singing. This hymn does a great job of introducing us to John the Baptist, and it's sung to a tune that's very familiar. And it applies his cry to us, which I think is totally perfect, that we also ought to 
repent of our sins, cleanse our life, straighten out our paths, and that we ought to know Christ Jesus as the greater one, the one who gives us salvation. In a sense, this, this hymn really does fill out the whole picture of repentance in a way that we don't get precisely in our gospel reading to talk about the forgiveness of sins, to talk about the healing hand that the Lord gives. All of that's kind of left out of the equation here, you might say, in John's preaching of it. But again, this really does help us to see the preparatory nature of John, that we need to hear more because we need to know what Christ has come to do. He's come to do what John the Baptist isn't doing. That is, he's come to cause and affect and win the forgiveness of sins for us by his death. Talk a little bit about how we still go back to John the Baptist. Historically, one might try to argue that John was for his time to prepare that people. And someone might ask, why do we continue to listen to him? Christ has come. Very good. I, I mean, I think we can take a cue from from Paul, actually, in our epistle, right? What was written in former days was, even though it happened to them, it was for our instruction, that we might learn from the example and that we might learn especially from the word of God that was spoken, even though it was spoken to Israel. Because that particular message, which really does echo through all the prophets, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and turn to the Lord your God. This is a message that is perennial. It's a message that is pointed in Jesus Christ. How do you return to God? In what capacity can we possibly return to God? Well, we can't on our own powers, but the Holy Spirit is at work in the words of God to point us to Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, as John's other famous sermon does preach. So in that sense, even though John's preaching was certainly for his time. In some ways, he even says it himself, there's somebody coming with a greater baptism and a greater message than me. Nevertheless, his preparatory work is always the case for us, that we should be prepared to receive Christ Jesus anew, that it shouldn't be a one-time done and then we forget about it, that repentance likewise shouldn't be just a one-time, well, I'm kind of regretful of what happened, we'll move on though. No, that we should bear fruit in keeping with that repentance and that we should be true children of Abraham. We should be those who trust in Christ Jesus and his words at all times. Two quick final questions. How does John's message prepare us to celebrate Christ's first coming in his incarnation of birth? It prepares us certainly to see the context before Christ comes and begins his ministry. It might seem a little strange because John, of course, was born slightly before Jesus, but he wasn't doing any talking until Jesus had also been born. Nevertheless, he prepares us for the message, the ministry of Jesus, as well as the work of Jesus Christ in particular. So it prepares us not only by getting into the mindset of he's laying the groundwork for a savior to come. He also prepares us in this sense that if we are about to feast and observe the Lord's high point, it's always been the tradition of the church to do that with repentance and with care for our own sins, that we not fall into carousing instead, but that we actually be those who are at all times bearing fruits that are in accordance with repentance. And then when we look forward to Christ's second coming of judgment, what is the comfort of this coming Sunday's message? The comfort is that our Lord Jesus Christ comes as a righteous judge, that he comes to do things 
according to his righteousness, not according to the justice of this world. That means that we can't appeal to him on any basis but the terms that he has set. And the terms that he has set is that Jesus Christ has been put forth as a propitiation for the world's sins. This also then leads us back into the whole matter of repentance, that the Lord has delayed his coming, as Peter says, for the sake of repentance, that we may reach it. Therefore, we are continuing in this again as we begin a new year. We are being honest about our sins. We are confessing them. We are not going to double down in them. We are not going to pretend that they can go on forever without facing the Lord's judgment. But we will not fall into despair because of this, but through the patience and the endurance and the encouragement and the comfort of the scriptures, we will find hope in Christ Jesus, that he is the Lord who has taken our sins upon himself, that he is the root who comes to claim us as his own. Therefore, at the last day, we will look not to be that chaff that will fly away with nothing substantial, but we will be his wheat that we know he will gather into the barns. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks for your time. My pleasure. When we come back in Hour 2 of Issues Etc., live this Monday, November the 28th, what's your favorite Advent hymn and why? one 877 623 Our email address, at Our Twitter address, at IssuesETC. And our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash IssuesETC. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc.